Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Studios, it's the Press Box Summer Edition. Yeah, old lady! Ed Grady. I'm not surprised the only women you see naked are in magazines. Tyler Bischoff. Again, this is really not my field. On ESPN Las Vegas. Show starting. No, none of us were ready. <laughs> none of us. Might as well put the earphones on. It's 7 o'clock already? Going to yeah. do a show? Listening to the show beforehand, I just thought we'd like roll with that through the day and go home. Yeah, so, <laughs> I don't know. Way to draw attention to it. <laughs> Technical <laughs> People issues. Are listening. We're playing replays of us beforehand. I enjoyed I got a tweet like 10 minutes ago of somebody responding to something that we were using on our Yesterday? pre-recorded show. Yeah, yeah. So I think we should just play pre-recorded shows and we'll go yes, home. Yes, exactly. Nobody knows the difference. Today. Right, Jared? Great. <laughs> the first bite. Oh, I'm just going. <laughs> I'm just going over here. The first bite today. Who leads the Raiders in rushing yards this season? Josh Jacobs. Wait, you guys got to text us. 69187 is oh, the text right. line. <laughs> Josh the Finley Kia text line. Uh, send in your answers to 69187. On the Finley Kia text line. We'll read them later in the show, uh, especially if you say something fun. Uh, so, uh, Fern, go ahead. Ah, Fernando. He's always <laughs> on Twitter, though. He's not going to get the text line. He's got a direct line on Twitter to us. So, all right, let me let me ask you a different question from the first bite, and we'll come back to the first bite question. Why do you think Josh Jacobs didn't play in the second preseason game? I think because he showed up in the first one and they didn't need to see him anymore. Why don't they need to see him anymore? Because the, because the reason I ask is because he played in the first one and everybody was like, wait a minute. Why is Josh Jacobs playing in the first one while the other bait. skill position starters are not playing? And then Josh McDaniels afterwards, his explanation was, well, running backs need to get hit. They well, he got get, hit in the first game. They don't get hit. So he's, he's been hit enough. Yeah, now? he's been hit enough. He's been hit enough. <laughs> they don't need to see him anymore. They need to see some of these guys that might be cut. That might take his spot, you mean? Come no, on. No, no, he's the lead guy. He's the lead back. Kenyon Drake played. Is he getting cut? Uh, I'm not so sure. I don't think so, but he hasn't looked good in two weeks. Uh-oh. Hasn't looked good in two weeks. Do you think he has? Eh, it's preseason, if whatever. I'm not too concerned about how Kenyon Drake looks I mean, Amu- a uh, Amir game. Abdullah didn't play this last week. Mm-hmm. Now... Maybe he's just splitting it up and they get to the Dolphins and Josh Jacobs starts and he's just, you know, mixing it up each week. He tends to mix stuff up a lot. Have you seen the, the combinations on the offense line? <laughs> 7,000 a game. So if if Kenyon Drake was cut right now, uh, his dead cap for the rest of this season would be $3.6 million and he'd have a dead cap next season of $4.4 million. Oh, wow. So if you cut Kenyon Drake... You're carrying four point nine. Forget about this year. You're carrying a four point four million dollar cap hit. Okay, what about next moving season? Them? You are still carrying a four point four okay. million dollar cap hit into next season. Even if if they trade or cut him right now, they will cost themselves four point four million against right. the cap. Well, for it doesn't next appear like season. those two, Ziegler and McDaniel's, like to do those things. Kenyon Drake is going to be on the roster unless the Raiders just decide their cap space next year doesn't matter. That's what it's going to, if they decide their cap space next year doesn't matter, then, then they'll cut or trade Kenyon Drake. Otherwise he's going to be on the roster because you're just, you're foolishly throwing away money. And here's the question. 
like if you're looking for third down backs, right? If we assume Jacobs is the lead back, Zamir White's White the number the next two, one. like actual between the tackles running right. back. And then it's between Kenyon Drake and Amir Abdullah for the pass catching back. Amir Abdullah is not so much better than Kenyon no. Drake that you're going to eat $4.4 million right. next, next year, year, plus whatever you have to eat this year, right? He's not going to be that much better than Kenyon Drake. So then it becomes a matter of how many running backs do they carry? Do they carry three running backs and a fullback? Do they carry four running backs and a fullback? Like then it becomes just a matter of how many backs do you carry? And does Amir Abdullah factor in there? But Kenyon Drake is going to be on the roster unless they decide that they don't care about cap space, which they might do. They might decide that, but it would be pretty foolish to do that for Amir Abdullah, who's not like a superstar. Amir, Amir Abdullah is like, he's got less than 600 rushing yards in his career. Like he's got less than 600 receiving. Like Amir Abdullah has been in the league for like six years. It's not like this is some star running back. He's just a replacement level pass catching running back. If that you're not keeping him on the roster to eat 4.4 million in Kenyon's well, contract. Why do you think Josh Jacobs didn't play? I think it's because Josh McDaniels played him in week one and got really tired of answering questions about that really quickly. You think quickly. it's that simple? That he did that he just I, didn't want to answer questions anymore. Otherwise he's a liar. I mean, he said the reason he played is because well, the running backs need the contact. What he doesn't need the contact anymore? He got like five he carries. He got hit. He needed he needed to be touched by the I thought defense he played well five too. times. Like, I mean, he might be he might play against Miami. We should we, we can't jump the gun. He might he might literally be mixing these guys up and playing them different weeks. I don't know. I mean, I thought he played really well. The uh, the first game, and maybe they'd seen enough of him. Like, all right, we're not going to risk him. He's the number one back. But they knew what he was before that. Did they really? Uh, did they really need to see? I don't him know. In coming back one? from that injury, I'm not so sure they needed to see him. Or excuse me, that they did not if, need to see him. I think if you needed to see Josh Jacobs, you weren't going to go off five carries in a preseason against no. the Jacksonville Jags second string defense plus Trayvon Walker. I don't think you. I don't think that would. No, I don't think any coach would be like, oh, okay, he's proven it. We gave him five touches against a bad know. team's backups. Oh, he's proven what he's good for. Either you you know what he's good for, or you actually need to see him. I don't think five touches. They is saw enough. him. I think they saw him enough. I think he the, played pretty well. In right reality, if you needed to see him, it would be in that joint practice with the Patriots. Well, we haven't had that yet, right? But if you needed to see him, that's when it would be, not the Hall of Fame game against the Jags. <laughs> like I just, I can't get over that they thought that that. They Josh McDaniels tried to sell that as like, ah, oh, he needed contact. We need to see him get hit. Like I just I don't believe that. You did not need to oh, see, see him it. get hit. We'll see Saturday if he plays. Then he wasn't even on the field the other day. Yeah, was he at the Aces he, game? No, he was not. At, well, I don't think he was. I, he was in the locker room afterwards. I hope he was at the Aces game. That'd been great. They all should have been at the Aces sitting game. sitting next to Devin Booker and Chris yeah. Paul and Mark Davis. They all should have. Darren been Waller didn't get those seats. So. I assume Jacob still is the starter, but I think I honestly think McDaniel's didn't play him in week two because there's been there was so much conversation about why the hell did Josh Jacobs play in week one and he didn't want to answer any more questions wow. about it. If that's true, that's bad. If that's, that's the happened. if that's the only reason is because you didn't want to answer questions about it. I don't know. He doesn't he he answers most questions now. He doesn't say very much. But he, he hasn't he hasn't dodged one question. He hasn't no commented anything he hasn't yet. No, no, I mean, 
the no, the closest he gets to no comments are injuries where he says they're working themselves back. Working themselves as, back. That's about as no comment as he gets. Man, doesn't even give you lower body or upper body. No, Man. no, he's not. He's not open like the Golden Knights. Man, give it give it three weeks or something. Then they got to put out an injury report. Then he'll. That's true. To, then he'll have to say stuff. Well, I guess he can just say, "Look well, at the injury say, report." Yeah, and he can they can be a little vague on it, but not as vague as the Golden Knights are. All right, here's another question for you from the second preseason game. Fourth and short inside the red zone. We saw two different uh, scenarios play out. Fourth and three from the six-yard line. Josh McDaniels kicked a field goal. Fourth and one from the 10-yard line. Josh McDaniels went for it. Kenyon Drake got a first down, and the Raiders went on to score a touchdown on that drive. We talked about this so much under John Gruden because he was one of the most passive coaches in the red zone last season. One of the most passive coaches in terms of going for it on fourth and short when they were close. He kicked a lot of field goals last year. Do you have any idea? Are we still having that conversation or do you think McDaniels is actually going to be aggressive as on fourth and short in the red zone this year? I think we're going to still have that conversation. I don't know why I get... I get upset every time they kick a field goal in preseason at any distance. Right? I think they right? that is the absolute perfect opportunity to work on every fourth down play. Like if you're down, you know, in late in the fourth quarter and you need a fourth and eight and you can't kick a field goal, then try fourth and right. eight. Try a play. I mean, are you so petrified to put something on, on film? Why why are you not going for every fourth down? I would kick no field goals in the preseason. Especially when you know who your kicker is, right? They're not, yeah, they're you not having you have a, one of the best kickers right. in the league. They're not having a kicker competition. No. I could understand maybe if there was some sort of kicker competition that, okay, we'll let the kickers kick some. But when Daniel Carson, like you've got Daniel Carson locked up for like, yeah. he's got like the longest contract on the team almost. Like there's no need for Daniel Carlson to kick anything. Hell, he missed the extra points. So I was going to say, oh, maybe, let him kick extra points though, because some, that's some because work. that's where he has issues. He doesn't have any issues with field goals. But I, I 100% agree with you. Fourth and three at the six-yard line, what Run a play. Yeah. See if you can make it. What are you doing? Like, are you are you coaching to like win the preseason yeah. game, or do you think Carlson needs work on the twenty eight yard field goals? Like, I I a hundred percent agree with you. Fourth and short in the red zone, every single every time, time. Go for it, especially in the preseason. Right. Like, there's there coaches don't go for it in the regular season because they're afraid if they don't get it, they're going to be criticized. They're afraid if they don't get it, they're going to be like lead the points reason. out there. Right. But in the preseason. Nobody cares if you leave points on the field. Nobody cares if you didn't convert the fourth down and didn't take the field goal. Not a single person would be criticizing McDaniels if he didn't go for it. No. So I'm, but I'm very curious to see what happens this year because the art, I think one of the arguments John Gruden and Rich Passaccia would have made last year would have been about how good Daniel Carlson was, right? Like you, you knew when you, yeah, you said Daniel Carlson goal. out there, you were getting three points, whereas right. other teams have less reliable kickers and it might factor into the decision-making. I wonder if that matters to Josh McDaniels. Does he care that his kicker is basically automatic, except for extra points for some reason? Or is he just going to say, hey, it's fourth and short. We're at the seven. We we need to score touchdowns, right? We need to put the ball into the end zone. And I have Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro, Darren Waller. I should be able to get a few yards if I need to through the air, or I've got Josh Jacobs if I trust him on the ground, right? Like, I wonder how aggressive McDaniels will be on fourth down. Why do I think he's going to kick field goals like everyone else? Because Bill Belichick has been one of the most passive coaches on these decisions over the last, like, five years. Bill Belichick's been bad. He punts and kicks field goals all the time on fourth and short. Like, all the time. One of the worst in the league in terms of lack of aggression. 
And th- this is where I wonder how many games into the season it's going to take for us to be like, oh, that's clearly something McDaniels does different than Belichick. Right, because we've the entire off season. First time he's fourth and three in the red zone. <laughs> the entire off season, right? We sort of framed a lot of conversations around, well, what did the Patriots do? Right? How did the Patriots right. do this? And I wouldn't say it's unfair to McDaniel's, given how long he was there, but there's going to be a lot of things that McDaniel's does differently. There's going to be a lot of things that McDaniel's doesn't do the same as Bill Belichick. We just don't really know what they are because we haven't. I mean, he coached in Denver a decade ago, whatever. Tim Tebow was his quarterback. Like, we just don't really know how much or what areas he's going to be the same as Belichick and what areas he won't be, right? Like, the Patriots rarely have, like, a number one running back. They could make Josh Jacobs just, hey, you're the number one guy. Here's 20 carries a game again. They could do that. Or it could be running back by committee, which is what I think will happen. And the same thing here with fourth downs. They could get super passive the way that Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick has been. is or, or McDaniels could be like, we're going for it. We need to score touchdowns to win. We're, our defense isn't very good or something. We need to score touchdowns to win. And it could be the exact opposite. So that's, I'm curious. I don't know. We get five, six weeks into the season where we start to really pick up on things. It's like, Oh, that's right. not something Belichick would do. Right. That's something McDaniels is clearly doing differently. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into some major league baseball because the Dodgers have lost a pitcher for the rest of the year. Very disappointed. It's uh, you know the second time we've been disappointed with him, and it was just you know you hope he grows up and you know learns from this and learns that it's not just you know it's about more than just him right now. No, look at this clubhouse. We, we really don't need anybody else. It would be nice to have somebody else, but we don't need anybody else. We got everyone we need right here. You're listening to the Press Box Summer Edition. It'd be nice to have somebody else, but we don't need anybody else. Definitely don't need Fernando Tatis. Um, Ed, how are you feeling about Walker Bueller, though? I feel bad for him. I feel bad for him. He's surgery. already had Tommy John when he came out of Vanderbilt. So this is not Tommy John again? No, I don't believe it is. Okay. I don't believe it's Tommy John. It's um, it's a different kind of surgery. But he had it when he was at Vanderbilt. When they drafted him, he had it like a week after he was drafted. So feel bad. Uh, not surprised, though. They sit back in September, and it was an elbow. So not surprised he's going to have season any surgery. Not good. Am I? Is it weird that if I hear, hey, a pitcher's having surgery somewhere on his arm that if you say it's Tommy John, oh, he'll be fine. If you tell me it's something else, I'm like, oh, <laughs> his career might be over. Like, is it weird that I'm like, oh, Tommy John, they got this. They got this completely yeah. handled. Everybody comes back. But if it's so- something else, I'm like, oh, his career, he might not be the same ever again. He might not be. Yeah. Okay. I feel bad for him. He's young, man. Young. Yeah. You don't oh. feel bad for him? Come on. Um, a little bit. Hold on. Hold on. We'll get back to Walker Bueller. We got a text on the text line. 69187, the Finley Kia text line. Make sure you put ESPN before your message uh, in response to our Raiders conversation. Maybe they wanted to evaluate their top offensive line and wanted their best back out there. Reasoning as to why Josh Jacobs played in week one. Yeah, it's hard to evaluate without Colton Miller. I would also think if you re, if you were if your mindset was hey we want to evaluate the offensive line, Colton Miller obviously, but I also think you would do that with Carr and the receivers right. in there, right? You wouldn't evaluate if you were like hey we need to put them around the actual starters. The quarterback would be the most important of any player that you would want to evaluate. And you're not putting then. him out. there. Yeah, I right. was gonna say that's a good way to get Carr's leg broken. Right. So I. I could understand a little bit of, hey, we want to see what we got with uh, the offensive line. Let's give Jacobs a couple of runs. But if you really wanted to see what you had in the offensive line and your goal was let's put him around, let's put the offensive lineman out there around what it will actually be there in week one, the quarterback would be out there, not just the running back. So 
Maybe. I'm telling you. Josh McDaniels didn't want to answer questions. Um, <laughs> so, back on the Dodgers. Best record in baseball. Number one in all the power rankings across the, the baseball media landscape. You don't think they're number one, though. Um, what's their postseason rotation? Uh, you have it down here. Gonsolin, Anderson, Urias. And here's the thing. Kershaw's still on the IL. This is his second stint, so I don't even know if he's going to be ready. If um, Kershaw's not ready, who's number four? Oh, I don't even want to think about it. It could be, you know, who's trying to come back. It could be Dustin May. Oh, he is coming he's back. Coming, he, he is coming back. He is coming back. Could be Dustin May if he comes back and he's strong. He's supposed he's pitching terrific in, in his rehab. So we'll see. He's kind of yeah, like, he'll be fine. He's yeah. kind of like a DeGrom where you just expect him to get hurt when he comes back. You got too many starters now, obviously too many of them. So here's, here's the interesting part about postseason rotations. Did you see Major League Baseball put out their postseason schedule yesterday? And they eliminated a couple of off days in the schedule. So normally in the AL and NLDS, you play two games at the higher seeds uh, back to back. park, take a day off, play two games at the lower seeds ballpark, take they a day have. off, and play the deciding game this is the five. the three out of five. Right. Play the deciding game five. But there's always a day off between when you have to travel. This year, in the NL and ALDS, there will be no off day between game four and five. So that means any of those series that go to five, you will play a game. And get on a plane. Get on a plane, fly to the new city, and play the very next day. Teams do that in the regular season all the time. But normally, in the postseason, if you're traveling to a different city, they give you a day off. Not in the ALDS. When you get to the AL and NLCS, there Best will not seven. be a single off day from game three to game seven. So you play one and two, you have an off day, three, four, and then three, four, five are in one city. Get six on a plane, seven six, seven in another city. How about the uh, three to start? One, two, three. There can't be a day off then. What do you mean? Oh, the wild card. Yeah, yeah no, no, those are three. No, in a those row. are three in a row. But what that means is in the AL and NLCS, normally because of those off days, you can, you can start. You can start your guy. You, can, you only need four yeah. starters, and you can start on regular rest. Right. You're one, two, three, you're four, and then you're one, two, three again. And nobody has to pitch on short rest. Now, teams often will bring a guy back on short rest because they trust him more, but you can conceivably go a seven-game series, four starters. Because of this, because games three through seven are all in a row with no off day, that means to pitch completely through that series with nobody going on short rest, you need a fifth starting pitcher. Bullpen day. Right. There's going yeah. to be bullpen games, or I think what will actually happen for a lot of teams, they're going to bring back their whatever starter pitched in game four or whichever starter pitched in game five on short rest for game seven. And this is why I think the Astros have a definite, definite advantage. So my first thought yesterday was, well, this this is kind of some crap. Like, you've completely changed the way teams approach their postseason rotation. And then I was like, well, the Astros have six starters. Yeah, they have six starters. So This is a huge, this is a huge <laughs> break for them, right? So I'm like, they probably are better equipped to handle yes. this than anybody else. Yeah. Now, the, when they get to the World Series, it's back to normal. Anytime there's travel, there's a day off. So that won't impact the World Series rotations but it will impact the AL and NLCS rotations. And yes, as an Astros fan, when they have six legitimately good starting pitchers, I feel very good about this. I feel like they're more equipped to handle this than everybody else. Now, Dusty Baker will do something stupid, like have Justin Verlander pitch on one day's rest or something like that. But as far as their options, I think they have better options than everybody else. And when you look at the Dodgers and you've, you've 
You've been worried about the rotation the entire year, right? Despite having the best ERA in baseball, but you lose Walker Bueller for the rest of the year. You have Kershaw and Dustin May, who are both question marks at the moment. The Dodgers don't, they could, you, the Dodgers could end up having five good pitchers, right? In the po- starting pitchers in the postseason, or they could end up with only like three oh, or something. Like throwing that. up people like Haney. Oh man, this is not going to be good. <laughs> I'm telling you, they, well, that's going to be their downfall. Well, They're gonna, the they all, can hit all the other NL teams. It's not like everybody else is like well-equipped to handle this either. This isn't a case where like, no, like the Padres are getting to get into Manea like their third game. Right. So like, yeah, if you play the Padres, it's, it's not like all, it's not like, Oh, they've got five great starting right. pitchers. So you'll mostly like, maybe the Mets have some more pitching depth, but it's still about DeGrom and Scherzer, and they're going to try to get those guys back as many times as right. they can. So Scherzer's arm's going to fall off because he's going to come back on two days rest and like, oh, it's dead again. Dead arm like I last year? Yeah, I can't throw a pitch anymore. So I, I don't think you should be too concerned about it until like you find out that like, oh, Kershaw's done for the year or Dustin May can't come can't back. Can't come back. Right. If you go in with three, I'd be a little worried. If you've got four... I think you'll be okay because Dodgers really good bullpen. They can bullpen their way. No, that's one, one thing they can series. bullpen out of most games. Right, they can bullpen their way through at least one game in a series and right. and be fine. So, but that it it changes what postseason rotations look like, and certainly I think gives the Astros advantage. By the way, TV because everything's TV. Uh, no, it's because this season they had to push two uh, two series right because of the lockout. They started late, and they're trying to make the World Series not in not in so snow. Late. So they found two days. Like again, it's they saved themselves two days, which is stupid to me. But that was the reasoning was they wanted to keep the World Series fairly close to where it normally ends, despite the later start to the season. Can I yell about Dusty Baker again? Oh, I thought you were going to yell about Joey Gallo. No, no, yeah, we'll get to Joey Gallo. People are not yelling at him anymore. So the Astros lost last night to the White Sox, four to two. The White Sox scored four runs in the eighth inning, all with two outs. Dusty Baker. Uh, his starter went seven and two thirds. Dusty came out and pulled him with two outs in the eighth after he gave up a squibber down the third baseline for an infield single, right? Guy didn't hit the ball hard, just barely tapped it infield single. Dusty comes and pulls him, goes to a reliever. The reliever, Rafael Montero faced five batters. He gave up two doubles to uh, walk two, and gave up a single white Sox scored four runs. Uh, he did not record an out. I didn't have a big problem with Dusty Baker going to Rafael Montero. He's been very good all year, right? Not a big issue with that. My problem is that after the game, when Dusty Baker got asked, you know, hey, why'd you go to Montero there? Dusty Baker said he was the freshest out of the bullpen. Rafael Montero pitched on Sunday. He pitched the day before, and he faced five batters and only got one out. He sucked 24 hours (laughs) earlier, and Dusty's like, well, he's the freshest. He's the guy that hasn't pitched in the longest. Like, again, no problem with the actual decision, but the logic behind his decision is like, what are you talking about, dude? It's factually inaccurate. Completely It's like the, it's like the center fielder uh, issue. Right. Come, and then, by the way, he didn't pinch hit. Their worst hitter was at the plate with two outs and two on in the ninth. He did not pinch hit. When asked about it afterwards, he said, well, I considered it. I just didn't do it. <laughs> What you're is gonna he doing? Win, you're going to win the World Series with a completely incompetent manager. And okay. that's been done before, by the way. And then here was the favorite, the actual best part of the game. The White Sox got the go-ahead run to second base in the eighth inning. The Astros had a mound meeting, right? So it took them 45 seconds or whatever. During that mound meeting, there was a video of a fan yelling at Tony La Russa to pinch run, right? Mound meeting is over. The batter's in the box ready to go. Tony La Russa comes jogging out to call time. 
and then goes and gets a pinch runner and puts him in. He did not consider pinch running until, until some someone fan in the crowd was yelling at him to pinch run. Didn't cross his mind. How about those two managing? It's unbelievable. They're, cool. They don't know what's happening. They also... It, don't they hate each other, I too? Think so. I like think they so. They literally dislike each other, but it's sort of like they're both Elmer Fudd. It's it's unreal how old they are and how they're just like half asleep at the wheel. It's unbelievable. And Tony Russo, he's getting it's that should be illegal. If you have a 75 year old manager, you don't get help from the crowd. Come on. That should be against the rules. You just have to live with it. Okay, so this is one of those weird fun facts that I know of, and we'll get more into my dumb my dumb knowledge at eight forty five. That used to be before replay. The umpires, if they missed something, would go to the crowd, like a side of the the side of the field that it happened. They went, "Okay, guys, what happened? <laughs> Most of you say out." Okay, he's out. Seems Thanks, biased. guys. All right, coming up next, Kalen Kaler joins the show. That we feel like we have three starting quarterbacks. But we got all the faith in the world in Mike White, got all the faith in the world in uh, Joe Flacco, and then you got Strebler showing that he can ball too. So really like our quarterback room. Back to the Press Box Summer Edition. Joining us now from Defector is Kalen Kaler. Good morning, Kalen. How are you Hi, today? Kaylin. Hi, Adam Tyler. How are you guys doing? We good. are. We're good. All right. So I want to start here with Lamar Jackson, who sort of kind of gave a deadline for when he would like to get a contract extension done with the Ravens. And I'm curious from, from your standpoint, who do you think needs the other more? Do the Ravens need Lamar Jackson more or does Lamar Jackson need the Ravens more? Huh? Um, that is a good question. Um, I mean, I would say the, I would say the Ravens probably need him more. Um, just because I think, if he were to be available, I think there's several teams that would want his services. But also, I mean, he's so unique that he does need a very kind of unique skill set, or he needs a unique build around him and coaches that uh, want to run that type of offense and, and use his skill set. So, I don't know. I would say, yeah, I would say the Ravens uh, would need him more. I mean, they have a pretty good backup in Tyler Huntley, but. Um, you know, that's not going to be what they want. Uh, they want Lamar Jackson. And, you know, despite the, uh, what the, the anonymous defensive coordinator who made waves in the athletic <laughs> QB tiers story a few weeks ago, I think Lamar is still very much one of the top quarterbacks in this league. And, and this Ravens team, especially, like, they had the worst injury luck last year. And I think that was a real fluke of a season for them. And I think this year, is going to be a real bounce back. And so, yeah, I think the Ravens need him more than he needs them. Have you ever gotten a quote as absurd as if he won 12 MVPs, I still wouldn't consider him a tier one quarterback? <laughs> Honestly, probably not. <laughs> no, That's, that, that would take the, that takes the title there. Uh, it was funny. I was actually talking to Mike Sando who writes that uh, story for the athletic. He's the reporter who, who does that every year. And he was like, you know, we were discussing how it's always interesting, like what little tidbit goes viral as opposed to others. And, and he actually didn't really expect that one to make as many waves as it did. And I'm like, well, of course it did, because you know how athletes are. They love to have the haters and people love to circulate that bulletin board material. Does anyone need Jimmy Garoppolo? <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm actually surprised the Browns haven't moved on him. I mean, I guess they're probably waiting for... Um, the 
Peter Harvey decision to come. Um, but it's really interesting. This, the position that the Browns are in, and I obviously, um, you know, hate the fact that we even have to discuss this because uh, it involves Deshaun Watson. But, you know, the position that they're in, because you, know, you can't talk about football without talking about uh, the allegations against him, um, 24 allegations for sexual assault uh, from 24 different women, and the Browns traded inside for him anyways. Um, you can't talk about that. You can, we can't talk about the football side without talking about that, but the football side of it is really in- interesting, the position that they're in. If he's suspended six games and that's going to be it, they obviously don't need another quarterback. They'll, they'll roll with Jacoby Brissett for six games. I think they're fine with that. I think Jacoby is a very capable backup, and Honestly, I would probably just stick with him if I were the Browns, but I do think if it's anything games, if it's uh, obviously if it's the full season, I think they're going to get Jimmy G. If it's, um, you know, and then they're in a weird position. If it's 10 games, if it's 12, if it's 14, I mean, what's the where's the point where you're going to get Jimmy G? Like, what's the number for the Browns where they want a different quarterback than Jacoby Brissett. And I think that's actually a really interesting situation that they're in. Um, and honestly, the NFL could kind of like this, this decision could kind of screw the Browns more by putting them in a weird spot. Like if it was less than a full year, um, it would put them in a weird position of like, are they going to get another quarterback or are they not? Um, and I think that's a really difficult position to be in if you're the Browns. So it'll be interesting to see what the number is and then how they react to it. But I think if it's, I think they are a real spot that would be interested in him. What did you think of Deshaun Watson's pre-recorded in a hotel hall room apology Terrible. that was posted to the Browns <laughs> Twitter account? <laughs> I mean, like it was disgusting to me, and I was actually kind of mad at people were actually calling it an apology. Like real reporters were identifying it as an apology, and I was just like. That is not an apology. He didn't even he didn't even say anything. Like he he said a lot of words to again say nothing. Um, because he didn't like I don't have it in front of me, but he said like um how I impact impacted was the verb that he used for his actions and then he said he would change some of his decisions that led to the situation, but he didn't say what his decisions were or like what the situation was or what he was even sorry about. So it was like the most vague way that you could ever apologize. And it's the timing was not a coincidence because obviously they want a settlement. They want to come to an agreement with the NFL, the PA and the NFL about how many games he will miss. And one of the points that Sue L. Robinson in her decision that she pointed out and it's been reported as one of the sticking points for the NFL as well, is that he has lacked remorse this whole time, that he has not uh, admitted any guilt or said anything that would be remotely considered an apology. And I guess you could now remotely consider this an apology. Like, technically, you could say it was some type of apology. Personally, I don't think it was close to an apology, but um, it's not a coincidence that that came out on Friday. Like, they are trying to grease the wheels for, for a settlement, and it's just, like, hilarious to me that I don't know who is advising Deshaun Watson, but he has been getting some truly terrible <laughs> advice. Like, if he had settled the first lawsuit a year and a half ago, I think he could have avoided a lot of this, 
um, and still had like a pretty decent reputation um, at the end. And instead, he was stubborn and decided, no, we're not going to settle this and we're going to fight it. And, you know, soon enough, there's 24 women who want to come forward because par- partly because it made news and partly because a few of them, the last lawsuits that they saw that he had no regrets. They saw him say he had no regrets, and that inspired them to come forward because they know that to be wrong. So right. I don't know who's advising him, but he's been getting some really bad advice. And the fact that, um, you know, he apologized on Friday was, like, very, very late, obviously, but the timing was so, so transparent. Well, any clips we hear from Rusty Harden, the attorney, puts everything in perspective. <laughs> so you're right about who's, who's uh, representing him. You might have mentioned it before, but are you, are you going to be surprised at anything other than a year? No, I think, I mean, I think it'll be, I don't think it will be a year. I think it'll probably be like 12 games. Because um, wasn't 12 the number that would have him missing the Houston game? Um, I saw a report about that, that the NFL like really wanted him to not be playing when the Browns go to Houston. Um, and I think if he misses 12 I think that was the number, if I remember right, that would have him missing that game. So I would think like 10 to 12, I would still be, I would be surprised if it was a full year. Um, Just because I feel like whatever this decision is going to be, it's going to be somewhere closer to the middle. Um, Because I think Sue L. Robinson, the first one, really erred on the side of, uh, precedent and stuck with everything the NFL had done in the past, which was six games. Um, and I think this next decision is not going to go all the way, but it's going to go maybe, you know, partway there. The Browns 12th game of the year is the one against the Texans. So that would be right yeah, on right. if it was 12. Okay. All right. Uh, Kalen, before we let you go, who's winning the WNBA title this year? Oh, so uh, my heart says this guy will run it back because that's my team. However, I really like the Aces. There we go. Um, and I'm not just saying that because you guys are in Vegas. Um, <laughs> I really like the Aces, and uh, I think, well, I think the Sky has a deeper roster. I'll say that. I think if anyone on the Aces is getting in, like, foul trouble, I think they don't have as many um, bench players that can step in and, and take the load off. I think the Sky has a deeper roster. Um, I'd like to see those two teams in the finals. And I think the bracket is set up to the point where that would be uh, a possibility. So I'd love to see those two um, in the finals. But um, yeah, I mean, my heart says sky, but realistically I'm thinking it's the aces year. Um, and I would be okay with that because I just love, I love Mark Davis, the aces owner. I don't like love him as the Raiders owner, but I love him <laughs> as the aces owner. He's just, I don't know. It's not like I don't like him as the Raiders owner, but I don't really care. You know, it's like whoever who cares about NFL owners, they're all kind of, you know, uh, weird in their own way. But like when he's the owner of the Aces, it's like kind of funny. Like they'll, they'll, uh, pan the camera to him in the games and he just looks so genuinely happy to be there. Um, and I love that he was there on Sunday. He was there yeah. instead of the, Skip the preseason, preseason. Game. Yeah. Like, Yes. Yes. Right. All right. Uh, do you have anything fun coming up at Defector before we let you go? Um, let's see. I have a few features I'm working on, but I'm not going to reveal them. Okay. I will say today 
I I started a YouTube show dedicated to backup quarterbacks and interviewing them because they are my favorite players in football and they never get enough attention. So I was like, well, why don't I just start a show where I'm just talking to only backup quarterbacks? So today, this afternoon, I'm going to be talking to Drew Stanton, who has the unique distinction of being a member of the 0-16 Lions and also a Super Bowl champion with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So... Um, you can find that at Defector's YouTube channel and also on our Twitch channel if you're interested. Well, our producer Jared's favorite player is um, Minshew, so Gardner Minshew. Yes. So he's uh, Jared's going to be all in on this. All he's going to care about is the backup quarterback. She's Kaylin Kaler from <laughs> Defector. Kaylin, we appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Kaylin. Thanks so much. Have a great day, guys. See you guys. So, uh, yeah, Jared's about, we're about to just like, Jared's going to suggest, let's just play this interview. <laughs> yes. Like it's just some random backup quarterback. On a loop. From, yeah. We got it. Well, okay. The next logical person is Nathan Peterman. You well, got to get I Nathan. I saw him running the other night for he's, a first down. Wait, he's playing for somebody? Yeah. Didn't we determine this? Don't, like, all right. Every three or four shows, I just need to Google where is Nathan yeah. Peterman. Wait, who's he playing for? I don't uh, even remember. Yeah, I just knew, I just you knew forgot? He ran for, yeah. You watched him run for a first I ran, down? I watched him run for a first down. The Bears, according to okay. the internet. Okay. I, okay. I actually think if Peterman gets cut, Peterman needs to be the co-host with Kalen Taylor <laughs> on this backup quarterback show. Because he is the ultimate, like, yeah, that guy's a backup quarterback. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Coming up next, we'll jump into uh, some drama between Kentucky's coaches. You can call it an unforced error. You can call it whatever you want. I'm, I'm calling it... Cal's worst moment, really, other than, than than blowing a perfect season with terrible coaching in the Wisconsin semifinal game. You know, maybe Cal wins the national championship, but more than likely he won't. All of the sun, none of the fun on the Press Box Summer Edition. So, randomly in August, this is why the SEC is great, right? We had the offseason where Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban, like, tried to fight each other. And now, randomly in August... John Calipari is picking a fight with everybody he works with. Including his, well, mostly his football coach. Because he just sort of unprompted while talking to the media, uh, started saying how he wants a new practice facility. And (laughs) here was part of his reasoning. This is a basketball school. It's always been that. Alabama is a football school. So is Georgia. I mean, no disrespect to our football team, I hope they win 10 games and go to bowls. <laughs> is the ultimate line of disrespect <laughs> So I mean, to his football team. I will say, based on them being Kentucky, they are a basketball school. Oh, no, they're right. a basketball school. Nobody disagrees with what no. John Calipari says. <laughs> no. You just don't say that out say loud it. about yeah, you your co-worker who's coaching the football team. Like, it's incredible, right, that he would say that out loud. I could understand him saying that. In a closed meeting with the, with the AD, AD, trying to get his facility, like, this is a basketball like, school. I make you the money around right. here, not this crappy football team. It's me, but like, <laughs> he's just out to the media. Yeah, I want a new facility, and they're spending too much money on this crappy football team. Like, I get it if it was Alabama, but we're Kentucky. We suck at football. It's great. Meanwhile, um, Mark Stoops, head coach of Kentucky, he's already come out and been like, "Wait a minute, what, what's not? Why are you taking shots at us?" The AD, Mitch Barnhart came out and said they're not going to build a new facility for the basketball team. And this is, to me, the key part. Kentucky has an on-campus basketball practice facility that is 15 years that old. That you know, you know is state-of-the-art. Right. 
It's not old. There's I haven't been in it, but I can't Doesn't imagine state of the art. It's not one of the best in, in the, the country. country. Absolutely. And like it's it's in a good location. I think yeah. I believe it's right across from their current from Rupp okay. Arena. Right. It, it it's in. I can't imagine he wants a better location. Like he wants it in the middle of campus. Like what does I, I don't understand. Like he's just like, hey, I'm a basketball school every decade. You better build me a brand new practice facility. There's and just, what Barnhart said is it's not only 15 years old, but as you've gone along, they've upgraded the thing all the right, time. Every yeah. time they need an upgrade, we need a new locker room. Okay, give them a new locker room. Right. And they continue to upgrade this place. Yeah, it's like, oh, Louisville has built-in TV screens for right. every player's we locker. That. We better do that, too, or something. I'm sure that's what's and happening. I'm sure that's what they times. get. It's just, it's it, so many parts of this from Calipari are incredible, that he would take out his own football coach, and then he would be demanding publicly to the media demanding a new facility when his is 15 years old because here's the thing if he's demanding already publicly to the media that means he's been like for a year asking privately for oh this. behind the scenes right. asking barnhart behind he's the like scenes. there's no way this is the first step there's no way step one for calipari was i'm just gonna tell the media i want a new one no like he would have already gone and asked for it now but here's the other interesting part when he when Calipari talked to the media, he was like, "Well, I'll go raise the money myself," which I, for some reason, have zero doubt that if Calipari, oh, I think went if to he Kentucky went out to try to with boosters, yeah, absolutely trying to like, convince them this is what we need to win another national championship. Like, hey, we need like five hundred million dollars to build yeah. this new facility. He sure. could probably get it. So here's the thing: if Calipari goes to boosters and gets I'm five hundred, whatever the number is, five hundred million dollars, does the AD let him build it? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I would. I mean, I yeah, I would if he if he gets all the money himself. The AD, I gave the AD credit in that. If you read the story, I don't know if he put Calipari on notice, but he came as close to putting him on notice as you'd ever expect at that school. Yeah, like, look, we're doing a tennis complex. We got to upgrade the football stadium. This is about an entire athletic department. It kind of almost surprised me because basketball is so important at that place, and the fans are so rabid and insane about basketball, but. I sort of gave him credit. He he kind of put him in his place more than I've ever heard Calipari put in his place. Well, Calipari's probably going to say, well, we'll build a new facility and just let the tennis team move into where we used to be. Yes. <laughs> build, the, <laughs> build the facility on the old basketball arena. He wants to be the older sibling with the hand-me-downs to the younger <laughs> siblings every time he grows out of his clothes. <laughs> like, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just randomly in August. Like, can you imagine... If just randomly Kevin Kruger took a shot, ah, you know that Mendenhall. You know that Mendenhall. And just like in August, like over nothing, just randomly Kruger would just be like, "Why are uh, we spending so much money on the football team?" Yeah, we couldn't. Uh, we couldn't fit anyone in here for the practice. Right. I need a bigger facility. I can't even imagine Kevin Kruger doing that. And meanwhile, Calipari. I can't imagine just, him doing it behind closed doors. Right. And meanwhile, Calipari just random week in August is like. <laughs> Why do we even have a football program? Like, he was like <laughs> two... they go to bowls. He was They've like, been going to bowls. He, right? Has he paid attention? They've actually been pretty good in football no. lately. What? He's not paying attention? Like, he was two sentences away from being like, why don't we just dump the football program? <laughs> I make us enough money around here. Just cut them out of the question. Like, incredible. I cannot get enough of SEC coaches and their egos.